You are listening to The Archivist, a true crime podcast. I'm Jana, and I am dedicated to preserving the details of lives that are lost and the crimes committed. Welcome to The Archivist. Welcome back to The Archivist. So today we're going to talk about a Black Widow killer. Um, So Black Widow's are female killers and they are they take the term black widow after the black widow spider which is a group of arachnids that they have a very striking appearance because they have that um, they're all black and then they have that red hourglass shape on their bodies apart from that they are also known to eat their mates so that is why we refer to women killers as black widows A Black Widow serial killer is a female, it's defined as a female killer who targets and kills at least three men who are usually their boyfriends, fiancés, or husbands. Often the reason for the kill is because of financial gain. They are either taking out an insurance policy or they're becoming the beneficiary of a large estate. But for most part, the reason a Black Widow kills is to gain Uh, financial status. Black Widow killers are also known to use poison for the most part. They sometimes will use um, a weapon like a gun or a knife, but more often than not, it's a very covert operation that typically authorities don't catch on to this Black Widow operating until there are multiple victims that, you know, suddenly we wake up and we see that there's definitely some suspicious activity and why are there four or five victims that have died in the same manner. So today I'd like to talk about a woman or a Black Widow killer named Melissa Ann Russell. Um, That's her maiden name. So she was born May 16th, 1935 in a town called Burnt Church in New Brunswick, Canada. Uh, she is called Millie by her friends and family. And some point in her life, she does move to Ontario where she lives with an aunt. She finishes high school in Ontario taking night classes that are given through Stafford College. So that's a very quick and There's not a lot of detail on her early life. In 1955, at 20 years old, Millie married her first husband. His name was Russell Shepard. So they are married and they have two children, a son and a daughter. Uh, Russell is just a factory worker. I, I think he just was a normal guy. They move to Toronto. And at some point after they have moved to Toronto... Russell is diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, and this puts a lot of financial strain on the family because Russell is going through chemotherapy and radiation, which makes him unable to work. It's during this point that Millie writes her first bad check, and she's basically trying to make ends meet for the family, 
And the way that she describes these bad, writing these bad checks, she flirts with blaming her husband for her writing the checks. It's because he couldn't keep up with working and meeting the family's expenses. And, you know, it's kind of a sob story, which I, you know, I understand. It is difficult, obviously, when the family member is going through a serious disease and treatment and is unable to work. Uh, but a bad check is a bad check. So between 1971 and 1985, Millie is charged with fraud, forgery, and impersonation over 30 times. So the fraud and forgery charges are due to the many aliases that Melissa has taken on over the course of these 15 years. And none of them are clever because she doesn't hide her identity. They all have the first name Melissa or Millie. So she was often sentenced to short periods of time in jail for these different charges. And over the course of between 71 and 85, she spends a total of five years combined in prison. So at her last release from jail in 1985, Millie moves to a city called Montague, and it's on Prince Edward Island. And this is where Russell, her husband, grew up. And so he had moved back there when she was incarcerated. And so then, of course, Millie goes and joins her family there. Millie is able to get her real estate license and begin selling properties on and around Prince Edward Island. And so I don't know, and maybe somebody can tell me, but what do you have to do to get your real estate license? How can somebody with such an extensive record uh, get a license? But it's Canada, so they have more lenient laws, I guess. In 1988, Melissa, who is working as a real estate agent, meets a man named Gordon Stewart. Stewart owns some of the properties on Prince Edward Island. And during this time period, Melissa and Gordon begin a relationship. But Melissa is still married to Russell at this point. You know, but who cares if you're already married? So in 1990... 55-year-old Melissa marries Gordon Stewart. They have two ceremonies, one in Las Vegas, and then they have a second one in Vancouver. Again, she is still married to Russell Shepard. A few days before Christmas in 1990, Gordon Stewart becomes disoriented and is foaming at the mouth. Apparently, he has had a known drinking problem but these are new symptoms. And so Gordon is rushed to the hospital where he's admitted for testing. While he's in the hospital, lab tests confirm that Gordon had a significant amount of benzodiazepine in his system. Benzodiazepine is a prescription drug that is typically used for anxiety, insomnia, and seizures. And it's generally considered a very safe drug for short-term use, but long-term use has significant side effects, including cancer and dementia. And it also, if you take too much of it, it can cause deep unconsciousness. And if taken with alcohol, can cause death. So obviously, this is troubling to find this drug in Gordon's system. So even though he showed signs of a benzodiazepine overdose, the lab results do not raise any red flags for the hospital staff. 
The hospital also hears rumors that there is physical abuse that happens between Gordon and Melissa. But again, still no red flags. I guess no one is paying attention. And the kicker of it all is in 1991, a year later after this uh, overdose, Gordon Stewart actually pleaded guilty to assaulting Millie. He was sentenced to jail time, and the judge issued a restraining order against Gordon from contacting Melissa. But when he was released from jail, Gordon and Millie move in with each other in a rented apartment in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Gordon and Millie are not the picture of a happy couple. And on April 27, 1991, Millie drove over her husband twice with her Chevy Cavalier. Um, yeah, so she drove over her husband twice. And she did not report this incident for several hours. By the time police and paramedics arrive, Gordon was dead. And his autopsy results later showed that he had high amount, amounts of benzodiazepine in his system. And Millie was arrested. Before her trial in May 1991, Russell Shepard is granted a divorce from Melissa. So, yeah, there's that. At trial, Melissa's defense was that Gordon Stewart had not only physically assaulted her, he had also raped her. Something to keep in mind is the timeline of these events. This is in the early 90s. Remember, Clarence Thomas had been nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court by President George H.W. Bush, and the controversy of workplace sexual harassment and general sexual harassment of women is very much in the zeitgeist of the time. Nevertheless, Melissa was convicted of manslaughter and she was sentenced to serve six years in prison. She was incarcerated at the prison for women in Kingston, Ontario. And while she is in prison, she formed a support group for women prisoners who had been victims of domestic violence. Later, after she's released, she find, founded another group that was called Project Another Chance, which focused on counseling women prisoners who were domestic violence survivors. This made her a media darling. She was, uh, she also, while she was incarcerated, was one of the focal points of a documentary called When Women Kill. After serving two years of her six-year sentence for killing her husband, Millie was released in 1994. After her release from prison, Melissa is lonely and broke and, most dangerously, bored. By 2000, April of 2000, she's now 65 years old, Melissa sends a letter to a man named Robert Friedrich. She had seen Robert's picture in a newsletter for a Christian retreat. And Robert Friedrich is a retired engineer living in Manatee County, Florida, which is the North Sarasota, Bradenton area on the Gulf side of Florida. Robert is also a recent widow widower. Melissa wrote in her letter that God was speaking to her and wants her to marry Robert. So what the heck? Robert invites Melissa to visit him the very next month. And this must have been an amazingly successful trip because after three days together, they decide to get married. So on June 23rd in Nova Scotia, Melissa and Robert were married. And she then moves to Florida after the wedding. So our blushing bride. 
a lot of her time with Robert Friedrich is undocumented. But what is known, Robert's family had begun to worry about him. They had noticed that his speech had become increasingly slurred, and he was suddenly suffering from several health problems. By July of 2002, they are no longer buying the excuses for Robert's poor health. And his son called and reported Melissa on an elder abuse hotline. And he blamed Millie for his father's health declining. It is around this same time in July, Robert has a new will drawn up and he leaves his sons out and he makes Millie the sole beneficiary. On December 16th, 2002, Robert died from cardiac arrest. Millie did not give permission or consent for an autopsy. She remained in Florida for two more years, and during this time, she continued to cash Robert's Social Security checks, which, so his death was never reported to the Social Security Administration, which meant they continued to pay out his benefits. And so this is fraud, obviously, and she she continued to cash the checks, even though she was only entitled to one check during the month that he passed away. And I don't know much about the Social Security Administration. I would hope that there would be some checks and balances, but apparently not. So Robert Friedrich's family suspected that there may have been a different cause to his death, but they're, and they're not shy about saying that they think Millie had a hand in whatever caused his heart failure. Authorities in Florida also suspected foul play, but they did not have enough evidence. After the Social Security fraud became known to law enforcement, further investigation was done. And during this investigation, they found that Melissa had multiple prescriptions for lorazepam, which is a fast-acting benzodiazepine. They also found that Melissa engaged in something called doctor shopping, which is where you go to multiple doctors and get prescriptions and treatments through fraudulent means. Melissa returned to Canada and lived on Prince Edward Island in 2004. She did this to escape any uh, scrutiny or charges by Florida officials. But by late November 2004, Canada's Department of Human Resources Development had also started to an, an investigation in Millie's involvement in what they called old age security fraud. So I think it's kind of something similar to Social Security. And they had estimated that she had received at least 30000 in funds that were taken through fraudulent filing. So they're unable to find concrete evidence of this, which I don't understand, but the investigation gets nowhere and it is closed in 2009. But they did have her investigated for five years. I don't understand. Um, So after the death of Robert Friedrich, Millie had joined a website called AmericanSinglesDating.com. And on this website, she begins communicating with a man named Alex Strategos. And although Alex was one of many people that she was conversing with, she targeted him more than others. In November of 2004, Melissa returns to Florida, Pinellas Park this time, and Alex and Melissa go on a, their first in-person date. 
and Millie moves into his apartment that very night. Wow, she works fast. Shortly after she moved into his apartment, Alex began to have health problems and accidents. He actually ended up in the hospital several times. And after one of these accidents, he had even given Melissa power of attorney, which is, oh my goodness, she could have, oh, I don't want to think about the consequences of that. Luckily for Alex, his son was on the ball and he noticed in um, one of the talk screens that was done on his father that there was a benzodiazepine showed up in his blood and he knew that his father had not been prescribed this drug at all and Alex told him at this point that he thought Melissa may have slipped some drugs into his ice cream on the night of their first date he tells his son that she would serve him ice cream after dinner most nights Alex's son also did a scan of his bank records and noticed that $18,000 was missing from his father's account and he immediately called the police. Melissa was then arrested and charged with grand theft, forgery, and she received a five-year sentence. He is so lucky. Melissa was released from prison in 2009 and she was deported back to Canada. At her release from prison, Melissa was given a list of 20 conditions to follow. She had an 11 p.m. curfew. She was not allowed to have internet access, and she had to tell the police of any changes to her appearance. She also had to report any romantic relationships to police so they can inform them of her past, which, hello, right? Sure, Canada, that's going to happen. So Melissa is living on the eastern side of Canada for the next few years, and in September 2012, the now 77-year-old Melissa meets a man named Fred Weeks, who was 75. Fred was a sweet man who liked to play cribbage and sing karaoke, and after losing his wife of more than 50 years, he was feeling very lonely. And unfortunately, it is at this point that Melissa meets Fred and she immediately begins love bombing Fred and he is happy for the attention and just one month after meeting Millie she and Fred get married. A friend of Fred's who is a justice of the peace named George Mengany marries the couple but he becomes worried when he realizes that he had seen Melissa on a documentary called The Widow's Web and so he calls the police and asks them to stop the couple before they leave for their honeymoon. And he wants them to warn Fred about Melissa's past. But the police said there is no crime and they don't see a reason to get involved. So, okay, thanks. Um, Fred and Melissa Weeks arrived at a hotel in North Sydney, Nova Scotia, which is a little place called Chambers Gate guest house which is like a little bed and breakfast and when they get there Melissa complains that the ferry ride had been very rough and that she and Fred were not feeling well the innkeeper reports hearing a loud thud in the evening and she thought that somebody may have fallen in the night but Melissa acts like oh, she didn't hear this and nothing's wrong but the next day, when Melissa comes down for breakfast, she does ask if an ambulance could be called for Fred. But first, she wants to finish her breakfast. 
she wanted to finish her breakfast. So the innkeeper called police and paramedics where they find Fred weak and disoriented on the floor of the couple's room. On September 30th, Fred Weeks' son calls the police and he reports that there is some like possibly false information and at very least some inconsistencies that are being given to the hospital. He tells them that a nurse reported to him that Fred's wife, Melissa, had told them that he had no children and that he suffered from dementia. Fred Weeks had a son and a daughter, and they both confirmed to the police that Fred did not have dementia, and prior prior to his relationship with Melissa, he only had high cholesterol. So further investigation, the police find that Melissa had also told this same type of story to residents at the retirement colony where she and Fred were living, and that Fred had a poor health, poor cardiac health, and he had dementia, and he has no children, and that he's often confused. So Fred recovers in the hospital and was released about a week later. But while he was in the hospital, the doctors did find that he had a high dose of benzodiazepine in his system. The police searched their apartment where Melissa lived and found 144 tablets of lorazepam and a few doses of temazepam. And they also found numerous pill bottles that had labels from five different doctors. And police also took a tub of ice cream that they thought may have been tainted with drugs. They said it was a suspicious tub of ice cream. Um, don't serve me no suspicious ice cream. So Fred Weeks was not clear on what had happened in the few days that he and Melissa were together. And he's even skeptical that they had ever been on a ferry. He has no memory of it. So later, this marriage, thankfully, is ruled as invalid by the Division of Vital Statistics due to false information that was provided on the marriage license. So the day after Fred is released from the hospital, police arrested Melissa for administering a nauseous substance. And these charges are later upgraded to attempted murder. But then after a plea deal, uh, Melissa pleads guilty to a lesser charge. And she is then sentenced to three and a half years in prison. And the judge at the trial said, people who have contact with this lady should be careful. And that is the understatement of the year. And Melissa is released from prison on March 18th, 2016. At 81 years old, Melissa was spotted accessing the internet at a Halifax Central Library. Part of her release was a ban on accessing the internet. So she is charged with breaching the terms of her release. A trial was set for February 1st, 2017. But in December 2016, the charges were dropped. And as far as I can tell, she is still living in Canada today. And I hope she's not on any dating websites. So that is the story of Canada's Black Widow, Melissa Weeks, which actually you could call her many different names. So we'll file this one away into the Black Widow file and... 
We'll be looking forward to our next new category to add to our archive. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed. The Archivist is a production of Three Sisters Crime Squad.